to Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amor, author, coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Dr. Gail Brenner, welcome to Unbroken. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. So let's start by why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to realize you didn't need self-help. Okay. Well, my background, how far back should I go? <laughs> um, I'll just start professionally. I'm a psychologist and I've been a psychologist for a long time. And um yeah, it's uh, a profession that drew me many years ago. Um, you know, there's the, uh, you know, we heal ourselves as therapists or um, practitioners and uh, as much as we help other people. So I think that was part of my motivation early on. And um, yeah, my training was pretty conventional. And then um, things started really moving and shifting and changing for me when I um, started meditating. Uh, this was about mm, a little over 20 years ago at this point. And uh, I had been in therapy myself for a very long time and um, didn't, at this point, I can say I didn't get a lot of um, uh, change from that, that I was looking for. So I kept looking, you know, I had this spirit in me of like, well, there's got to be something else out there to help with my uh, the way that I, my version of suffering. And um, I started meditating and that really started changing everything because of the way uh, meditation teaches us to be with our experience. So to be aware of what's arising in us, sensations, emotions, whatever it is. And um, when I first started meditating, I was shocked at how much different energies I found in my body and different emotions that I didn't even know were there. And the fact that I was suffering started to make sense. Like, oh, there's a whole lot going on in here that I didn't realize. And that uh, is probably something I should pay attention to. And, uh, and that was the beginning of a spiritual path for me. So combining the, you know, my psychology background and interest with uh, my interest in spirituality really um, supported uh, my um, quest to find happiness and just discover how to be happy and where is happiness. And, you know, uh, somehow I knew it was possible. There was some spirit in me that no matter what happened, it, it the flame didn't go out. And then when I started realizing uh, the possibility that maybe there was uh, the possibility of not suffering so much. Um, I was really on fire uh, about that and wanted to know and went to a number of spiritual teachers and um, 
had different insights and realizations along the way and um, led me to the point where um, it's it's an ongoing path now. It's nothing's finished. Um, and there's always something alive for me. Like right now, what's alive for me is um, just compassion for everything that arises in us, like every single nuance of our experience and really turning toward that and welcoming that and loving that. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. So by the, but I mean, I, you're probably referring to the title of my book, the end of self-help and, um, yeah, what I mean by that is there's no self here that needs help. It's the title of your podcast, Unbroken. There's nothing here that's broken. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. Um, there's just different energies and emotions and experiences arising and learning how to um, relate to all of those in a way that feels aligned and supports our essential wholeness. Thank you for that answer. And, you know, the thing that I was really, well, one of the things that I was really struck with in the end of self-help was you talk about having been on several spiritual retreats and your journey with psychology. And then it was a lunch, I think, with Ru Rupert Spira that you had where he pointed out, well, what's the consistent thing that's there? So your feelings and your thoughts, our thoughts change what's constant and mm -hmm. you realized it was this observer presence. Those are my words. That was the consistent thing. Could you talk about that a little bit for us? Well, what he showed me is that um, it was really about time. And he was he pointed out how um, it takes time to suffer. And these are my words, not exactly his, but it takes time to have stories. It takes time to have a personal identity. There's a past and a present and a future and a now and then. And even to say the statement, I am unworthy or, you know, I feel inadequate to have language takes time. So this is, it's a, it, and if we believe anything that the mind tells us because the mind is only exists in time, then um, that can be the source of our suffering. And when there's the realization that that time is not ultimately real, there's a certain reality to it, but it's not the ultimate reality, everything just collapses and into this um, infinite presence. And um, there's, uh, there's, there's, it's not capable of suffering at that point. Right, right. And so related to that, um, there's this quote that I love from the book that says, when you know you are presence, the simplicity of being aware, rather than the complexity and confusion of what you're aware of, problems lose their impact. And I just love that. And I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit for us. Yeah. Um, when we go into the mind and believe the stories that are there, um, uh, when we um, look at our histories or we want a better future, um, there's a limited personal identity that's at the center of that, that thinks that there's something missing. And um, that uh, that's a 
a myth. I've come to discover that there's nothing missing, but if there is something, if there's a felt sense that there's something missing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that can be a beautiful inspiration for a deeper inner investigation of knowing, um, you know, so this this happened to me a lot. Like uh, teachers would say something to me like, well, there is a possibility for an end of suffering. And I didn't know that in my own experience. So that made me curious, you know, like, oh, well, they know that. And somehow I believed that. And it made me look at my own experience, like, and keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Because that's what we need to do. We need to look within and not wait for the insight or go to the right teacher or read the right book or whatever. It's a, um, a, a, a uh, an ongoing, endless, really um, beautiful investigation of what's here, what's true, what's real, uh, and, and a, getting a deeper understanding around that. I like hearing that you say it's ongoing, you know, that there is no bottom to it. Uh, and so obviously you're still discovering things. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Very much so. Mm, yeah. I love that. There's no destination that we should be aiming for. <laughs> there isn't. And it's, it's the opposite of a destination because we think of destination as out there or in the future, or if only this, or if only that, if only I got it, if only I knew what he knows then if there's an if then then there's time and then there's a projection into the future and what that means is there's something missing here and now and if there's something felt to be missing here and now there's something to be investigated mm -hmm. right oh i love that and so if any of our listeners are self-help junkies like i was um how do you suggests that we take the first few steps of getting off that round uh, roundabout as i'm calling it of um of thinking that there are things that are wrong that we need to fix yeah it's a journey you know there's nothing wrong with self-help um and and, a, and an interest in that um, and if it helps, which I think in some ways it can, some of it can help some people some of the time, and that's wonderful. But if there's a, a keep looking, keep looking, keep looking and not finding, then there's something else that's needed in that. You know, if there's, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and it's not really getting you what you um, desire, what your heart is wishing for and speaking to you, then there's, there's something else to be done. And that something else is to look inward, to, to recognize that that need for self-help is based on a, a sense of brokenness um, or inadequacy. And what we really talk about here is a complete 180 on that, that there's nothing wrong with any part that arises, any emotion, any anything, and um, discovering how to uh, relate to those different parts. Um, but I'm really hearing your question, like, how do you, you know, inspire people to get off the path of self-help? I think that these journeys happen in their own time, in their own way. And, um, you know, the, the questioning, always inquiring, not taking anything for granted, not leaving one stone unturned. So for example, when someone says to me, I'm depressed, 
I don't take that at face value. To me, that's the beginning. And I'm getting super curious about what is actually happening in their experience that they're labeling as depression. Because depression isn't direct experience. Depression is a word that, you know, we have some commonality in what it means, but it's a label for something. So we need to know very specifically what is arising here and now. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. And do you think at different times in a in a person's life, a word like depression can mean different things? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and I'm not sure what it, if people know what it means, you know, which is, that's the curiosity about it. Like, what is it that uh, and these words get thrown around and they're common in our culture. And, you know, so um, if we get, if we really come down to the present moment, if just like what is happening right here, right now, turning the attention into that U turn from out or from our minds into our bodies is helpful and our direct experience, like what is actually happening now? And then we find there's a contraction in the chest or there's a fluttery feeling in the belly, or there's a story running over and over and over in a loop that you didn't even realize was there. Uh, and then, then we can start opening up, learning how to be with those different uh, experiences that we notice. Mm -hmm. And do you see an intelligence in, in that? Uh Yes, absolutely. Um, there's sometimes we need guidance. I think for lots of people, um, you know, it's not a path we can go alone. And, um, you know, I, yeah. my offering um, uh, <clears throat> weaves together um, this path of awakening and understanding the truth about reality with um, the uh, investment investigation into early trauma patterns, which I find fascinating. And by early trauma patterns, I mean, what happened to us when we were young in our families that didn't get resolved, those very sticky places, and how we bring them into adulthood, and we take them to be our identity, when they're actually not, because they're a limited, <clears throat> excuse me, a limited identity. And, um, and looking at that from the perspective of wondering like, who am I? What is the truth of my being? What is the truth about reality in the here and now? And to do that, we need to untangle those um, early trauma patterns, those places, uh, tender places in us where we've been stuck for a long time. Well, yeah. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know you have an interest in this and I saw several blog posts on your website. So I guess, what do I want to ask about that? So you're saying that trauma can live in our bodies and that we can. And so what happens when we begin to uh, investigate that or be present with it? Yeah. So, um, what happens when we begin to investigate it, it's we become, we start to become aware of the actual pattern and even pattern is a vague word. So I'm interested in, and the body, the attention and attunement into the body is super useful. And I would think important in this investigation, 
um, what's happening in the body, what young parts are being activated, um, what emotions are present, what are the stories and beliefs and expectations that are running. And the starting place might be um, suffering here and now in our daily lives. Like if there's a struggle in a relationship or in general, people have struggles with relationships, which was the case for me a long time ago. I just had trouble with all relationships. And so um, the questioning is then like, oh, what am I bringing into that situation? What is arising in me? And then that's the beginning. Like, what are the feelings that I feel? What's the urge? What are the tendencies that I'm bringing in? And then bringing that back inside into our own experience to understand like, oh, that happened because of whatever was going on in my family when I was three or five or even earlier than that. And, um, and we get an understanding of why these patterns are here in us. And then we begin to be able to have uh, to, to turn toward them with kindness and care and love and unconditional welcoming and acceptance. And that begins to soften them. So once there's, you know, if we're caught in a some kind of condition pattern, it's like we're in one lane going back and forth, back and forth for, you know, decades, many of us. And um, so what we do is bring our attention there and begin to have a great and bring everything together because there's division there, there's separation, like, oh, there's a feeling I, I had to you know, submerge many years ago, and I can't bring that out into the light. It's too scary or unsafe. But we bring about a sense of safety so that we can investigate those deep inner parts, the long-standing um, patterns and feelings that we have. And with that sense of safety and holding and loving, which is what we always wanted anyway, and maybe didn't get as much as we needed, uh, there's a softening that happens. And when there's a softening, they're just, they're not so much in charge. And then there's more space. And then we have more options. And then we can be more present. And then we get to look at things in a fresh way, rather than with that one veil that's been over our eyes, maybe for decades. And so that's how um, this uh, focus and investigation on our early patterns that developed, how that plays a very um, uh, uh, um, usual, a common role in how people get stuck on this path of awakening, but also where the freedom can be there. Mm. Oh, so say more about that. That That's curious for me, how people get stuck on the yeah. path. Yes. I mean, if we if these patterns are unknown to us, like I always tell people, become an expert in how you suffer, like really get to know what it is that happens in here. Why? So that you can see it. That's one reason. So that you can, you know, if you're completely absorbed into some kind of pattern, like say you're a people pleaser and your attention is out there and all you're doing is pleasing, 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 there's no space to, to learn how to be with yourself. So we slow things down. And we turn inward and we take the time to do this very sometimes subtle and precise investigation about what's happening in the body and what young parts have been activated and just, you know, all of what's arising in the present moment and turning toward those parts with our 
you know, loving attention. And then uh, that creates the the space for something new or a new way of being. Mm, okay. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's great. Um, there's an exercise speak, you know, sort of talking about the flip side of this that you mentioned in the end of self-help about thinking of something that brings us joy and then dropping our focus on the thing and just feeling the joy. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah. So there's, we often in just if in common way of being, uh, we want to seek out something to give us joy or fulfillment or satisfaction. And there's an if only mindset around that. If only I had that thing, that good relationship, that promotion, whatever it is, uh, then I will feel happy or joyful. But happiness is our natural state, actually. When we stop the looking outward for it, assuming that we don't have it, and we start to bring our attention in toward our experience, and then we notice what's there and we're lovingly with all the different parts, being with all of those parts. And then we look beyond that even to what's outside of all forms. Like there's a there's a field, an energetic field of aliveness, and we can learn to uh, recognize that it's always here and always has been here, but it's just been covered over by our um, attachment to uh, positive states or finding our, finding the end of our suffering out there. But we look deeper than the emotions, deeper than our personalities, and we go into the the bare bones of the present moment and open to the, the energetic field that's here. And as everything falls away, and this is what I was describing when I when time just collapsed, you're just we're just here and alive and aware. And there's a um, tremendous feeling of well-being that comes there. And that's possible for all of us to discover at any point in time. It's not for special people or, you know, it's it's not special. It's the nature of how things are all the time. So um, there's always the possibility of discovering that that happiness or we can use different words, peace or ease or well-being or a sense of fulfillment of not missing something. Sometimes it comes as stillness or quiet. This this is our our natural state from which everything arises. And do you have a practice yourself uh, about <laughs> touching that space daily? I have many practices <laughs> okay. and I love practices. And I actually feel that um, practices or some kind of regularity or intention along this path is a helpful B, I even want to say necessary. Very few people um, have a lot of insights or um, uh, go further with their desires without a, a, a commitment to it. And, and it's a heart commitment and it's a, we can put out a prayer for it, but not just a prayer. There has to be action behind it. So I love practices. I love practices around understanding our trauma patterns and also practices really for me, the main one is meditation of just getting quiet and opening and being, and then 
just knowing that and ha having that be um, uh, a very familiar, you know, known place, even though it's fresh always, it's still the, the, the um, ca capacity that we have to find that over and over and over. And then the possibility of bringing that knowing into our daily lives, which I find fascinating. Like when somebody cuts me off in traffic or something disappointing happens or, you know, then what? All of a sudden we've left that peace and happiness and, you know, but it, it hasn't gone anywhere. Our attention has just moved into something else that we believe to be the source of our suffering in that moment. So how to work with that to um, release our attachment to the objects and the thoughts, the expectations, the emotions, the needs, and coming back, winding it back to the, um, the stillness that's always here, the fulfilled, you know, infinite, empty uh, energy of life. And resting here, then um, we know it as the source of peace. And if someone, you mentioned meditation, so as, as a practice, if someone doesn't have an affinity for meditation or has tried it and it didn't work, is there something else, another, a different kind of practice they could try? Uh, there's there's a lot of things. First of all, if someone's having trouble meditating or can't or whatever, um, a guided meditation, uh, you know, choose that and, you know, maybe start one minute a day because for some people, it's just really, really hard to sit still and be. And um, so start small. That would be one thing. Another is a practice of attention into the body, which I love, which is just sitting and paying attention to, you could do it as a scan or as whatever sensations um, are prominent and appearing, um, but just getting curious about uh, sensation. And that in and of itself is a huge practice in presence because we get to notice more and more the subtle sensations. Like, And some people aren't very um, comfortable uh, by their habit of be, of paying attention to the body. So we can start by just putting the fingertips together and feeling the pressure there and just getting curious, like closing your eyes, like, oh, what is that? So we close our eyes, we take away the, the fingers and the, the forms that are in front of us, and we just feel the sensation there. And just like, oh, just getting curious. What is that? What is that like? And putting our attention right on that sensation and getting intimate with it and, and knowing it and letting, making space for it to do whatever it wants to do, expand or contract or dissolve or whatever, it doesn't matter. But opening our attention into sensations in the body or energies or um some people feel frozenness or um, a sense of numbness in the body that it's hard to access, but even that can be a fascinating um, uh, uh, experience to turn toward and get curious about. Mm, oh, nice. And you mentioned guided meditations there at the top, and you have quite a few on your website. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah I have and some meditations, yeah. So if people are, we'll mention your website address at the end of the show, but 
Yeah, if people are looking for something, they can definitely find them uh, at your website. And yeah. on Insight Timer as well, do you have some on there? No. No. Okay. So from your website, that's the best place. All right. Um, we I should have done this question earlier when we were talking about trauma, but we you mentioned in again in the end of self-help about the feeling of separation that is at the root of trauma. And um, could you, so could you expand on that and share with our listeners about what you mean by that? Yeah. And at a feeling level, I think we all kind of know what that means. We just feel separate from the world, from life. We're in our heads trying to figure things out. So, you know, how, like, say you have a conflict in a relationship, like, what do I do or blaming the other person or, you know, we're in our heads and there's that, there's not a sense of unity there. There's a sense of a me and the other person, a me and even separate from other parts of myself. There are parts of myself that are too shameful to go toward or too, too difficult, too challenging. I don't know how to feel the feelings that I know are buried in me somehow. And there's that fragmentation. There's a a sense of like different um, energies and ideas and parts and emotions. And it's, it feels chaotic and sometimes um, uh, challenging for us to be with. And uh, when there's a sense of, when there isn't a sense of separation, when there's um, then when that's been healed or we realize the wholeness that is the essence of who we are, there's a there's a sense of well-being. There's always an, a, a little kind of anxiety or discomfort in se- in separation that something isn't right. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with life. And it's just like and then we go into our heads trying to figure it out. Um, but there's when we we can give our attention to that separation, we can get really interesting, especially in the body, like okay, I don't feel comfortable in myself or my life. Why is that? And go in and discover like, what is it in our bodies or maybe our emotions that's bringing about that sense of dis-ease and bringing our attention to that so that we can see what that really is, which is just a sensation arising in awareness. And it strikes me that that sense of separation could almost be described as an absence of love or compassion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think of traumatic experiences in my childhood, and that feels like the root of the whole thing, that I felt there was an absence of love or connection, I guess. Compassion. Yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. And we split off. I mean, that that's a, a really good example, like just to be very concrete. So say that something upsetting happens to you as a, say a five-year-old and there isn't the environment. And this is not in any way to denigrate parents because they're always doing their best. And I, uh, you know, I, I encourage people to really get that as much as they can, because the blame just keeps the victimization going. So when we stop blaming, then we can soften and start to look at like, oh, compassion for the other eventually, but also compassion for ourselves. We were just in a difficult situation. So say that we're something upsetting happens and we don't get the 
attention to the emotions that we need and the care and the support and the um the the knowing it it's that it's okay to feel that way and it's okay to express an emotion if if we don't get that and especially chronically over and over and over for some of us for years what do we do with that emotion it it gets stuck in the body it can't get resolved and freed up so it gets stuck in the body and we feel tense in our bellies and then we push it away and we try to make sense of it but we can't because we're not looking at the full picture of it we don't have the skills to do that and we don't have the safety which is another key factor it doesn't feel safe for us to be ourselves with our own experience and we're going to split something off and that's the sense of separation that we we can't open to and include everything because it just feels too difficult and then it becomes a habit and then we build strategies around that of avoidance or you know being outside of ourselves and high achieving and um you know lots of strategies that we can um uh uh, uh create in our lives and then um and that the source of all of that is that sense of having split off something so that we can't feel whole. Mm. And then of course the medicine is to bring all the parts, the energies, welcome it all. And this takes time. It's not like, Oh, you know, magic. Like I just welcome everything. No, because some of these parts are very um, shocked and traumatized and scared to come out into the open. And we just take the time little by little to create this safe space for um, for these cutoff parts to come back into awareness. Mm, lovely. Wow. Makes me think of that roomy poem about welcoming every visitor. The guest house. Yes. yes. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and the final thing I want to, well, one of the final things I want to ask you is how is our experience of life a projection of our inner state? There's actually no life out there. There's <laughs> um, there's what we perceive here. Right. So um, if our perception is veiled by negativity, um, low self-esteem, fear, uh, a sense of lack that something's missing, that's how we see the world. So... Uh, and that's how we can, and I want to say, misperceive situations. So we assume that someone did something because, um, you know, they don't like us. Say, say, you know, somebody doesn't call you and they said they would. And then if you're in that, behind that veil of unworthiness, you might conclude, oh, that's because that person doesn't like me or they weren't thinking about me or they don't pay attention to me. When the reality is, if we take away all the veils, they were busy, they, you know, whatever was going on in that other person's world, but we project what's here in ourselves. So if we are believing that the world is unsafe, that other people aren't going to be there for us, that we fail, we'll fail. This is this is the energy that we show up in situations in our life with. And this is what we project out onto whatever is happening. So, um, so the world is a projection of our inner state. But if our inner state is clear, if it's open, if there's 
not attachment to the suffering, if there's the sense of wholeness and not the sense of separation, then we're way more um, set up to see through the eyes of love and not fear, love and not separation, love and not lack. And we can we have compassion and we see things tenderly and we just melt, you know, and that's another practice I like, go into a busy place, a cafe or something, and just see things, everything you're seeing through the eyes of love. And just get curious, like, how is that to see without the veil of separation? Mm, Very illuminating. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Well, as we're starting to wind up today, when it comes to the end of self-help and um, the end of suffering, is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like to share with our listeners? The biggest... um, support is to be very kind with yourself during the process. So, you know, if you're struggling to get an insight or um, struggling to feel better and skip over the suffering, which is normal. And and I have compassion for that. We all want to, none of us really wants to suffer. We, um, so there's this human tendency to want to skip over the hard places in us, but what this path really asks of us is um, the, the, a growing capacity in ourselves, like more and more expansion into the possibility of including everything, which means the really hard places, the tender places, the rejection, the abandonment, the fears, the terror, the rage, all of it. And little by little, like letting that come in, and I want to add in a way that um, that feels uh, doable. So we don't want to overwhelm ourselves either. So I'm a big fan of, of doing this kind of, of work of inner investigation in a group setting that's led by uh, a, a leader that, that has a sense of, you know, how to be with these kinds of, um, of practices and paths and uh, we can't do it alone, actually. There's a saying that trauma happens in relationship and it's it happens because we've had um, inadequacies, let's say, in our relationships and it heals in safe relationship. So we don't, starting out, we don't really know how to bring a sense of safety to ourselves, So, it, which is what we need ultimately. And we can do it. It just takes some time to learn it and get the experience with being a safe anchor for ourselves. Um, But it helps to get the uh, exposure and experience in a group or with other people who can offer that safe space. So, so I want to emphasize kindness to ourselves and the, the willingness to stay with it and um, uh, trusting yourself. So a lot of us, in when we have struggles, we learn not to trust ourselves and not to trust life. And it just uh, doesn't feel very good to be in life with that mistrust. And to find spaces, people where you can begin to trust again, because that trust is our natural state, actually. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. So Gail, where can we find out more about you and your work? Um, my website, um, it's gailbrender.com. 
and there's uh there's a lot of content on there their blog posts and um interviews and guided meditations there's different tabs there's an audio tab for the meditations and uh there's some video on there as well and um i do uh pretty much weekly groups so um and they're open for everybody everybody is welcome to come so you can find out about them there or sign up for my newsletter and i send out an article every week um to just to because i like to write and uh it's uh i hope it's a support for people great okay well i will put links t- uh, in the show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com for that yeah Well, thank you again for being with me here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. And um, yeah, it's a, yeah, kindness is my message. (laughs) That really shines through. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, get your complimentary copy of my Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit at alexandraamore.com forward slash starter kit. See you next time. 